Hi everyone, I'm Charity Tostrebo. And I'm Adipa Inyan, and we are graduate students at the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries. Welcome to part one of our podcast on equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science. We are very excited to bring you two conversations with marine scientists on this topic. Our first guest is Dr. Nicola Smith, who is currently a postdoctoral researcher at Simon Fraser University. Her work over the past decade has focused on coral reef ecology, data-limited fisheries, and biological invasions, particularly throughout the Caribbean. She's also first author on a paper called Diversity and Inclusion in Conservation, a proposal for a marine diversity network, which we are very excited to discuss with her during this interview. So let's dive right into our conversation with Dr. Nicola Smith. What does equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science mean to you? Well, these terms are frequently lumped together, but I think it's, in the part, it's important to define each one separately. Mm. Do you have eight hours to spare? <laughs> I'll give you the bridge version. Um, equity means recognizing differences among people and providing adequate support and resources that acknowledges and addresses those differences so that everyone has the opportunity to fully participate in and benefit from marine science. Now, equity is often misunderstood as equality, but it's not the same thing. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, diversity in marine science means that people from a variety of backgrounds and experiences are able to participate and benefit from the field. So for me, diversity has three, well, not just for me, it's actually in biology. Uh, Diversity has three dimensions, which are variety, balance, and equity. I mean, a disparity, sorry. And variety basically refers to the number of different types of categories and balance refers to the distribution of those things across categories, while disparity refers to the degree of distinctiveness between categories. So people frequently just address one dimension of diversity, which is usually variety. Mm. But I think it's important to address all three um, because variety can usually lead to things like tokenism, where you have like one person um, from a certain group represented and that doesn't, of course, uh, address balance, um, or you might not address disparity, for instance, if you have someone from Canada and someone from um, the US, they're very similar. But if you have someone from Canada, for instance, and someone from Angola, then you have disparity, very different cultural uh, groups. Um, so I also want to point out this thing is a pet peeve that people can't be diverse, only groups, but mm-hmm. not people because you sometimes hear the the term diverse people and that doesn't really make sense. And finally, inclusion means a welcoming environment that includes a diverse group of people where everyone's input and perspectives are valued and considered when making decisions. Perfect, that's so succinct and wonderful to have that laid out for us. Yeah, that was a very good explanation. Like it was really thorough and you really delved into the main points. So my question for you will be, do you think that equity, diversity and inclusion has become a catchphrase um, that is being used by institutions despite little or no indication of actually working towards a more equitable, um, diverse and inclusive environment? Do you think like it's just- A word uh, word of mouth. Sadly, in some instances, this is actually true. Um, However, I've seen some organizations that are taking EDI seriously and are investing, you know, serious uh, time and resources into addressing it. Um, 
for instance, the Society of Conservation Biology is really um, investing serious resources and time again, professional help to address these issues. And I'm hopeful that other organizations will follow the lead of like SCB and other institutions to get serious about change. Thank you very much. Thank you. Kind of continuing in that similar vein, do you see that marine science is perhaps becoming more diverse, but without becoming more inclusive or becoming more equitable? Well, in my opinion, marine science is none of these things, correct? <laughs> Many organizations, in, in my opinion, are just becoming aware of these issues after the death of George Floyd. But before that, it, it wasn't even really a thing. So I think right now we have a long way to go in our field. Okay. We haven't even hit that point of diversity. Yeah, we haven't even diversity. hit diversity. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This kind of comes back to your original point where you were, where you're talking about um, diversity in the context of, of ecosystems. As marine scientists, we talk about diversity all the time and we recognize that it's a crucial part of a healthy ecosystem. So why do you think a field that that spends so much time trying to understand and characterize diversity, um, why do we have such a difficult time prioritizing it in our own field? Yeah, um, I think that there is some resistance to prioritizing diversity in marine science, particularly at the higher levels of power because this means that some people from the dominant group will have to give up power and allow room for others. And it means a loss of privilege for this group. And so no one really wants to give that up if you're benefiting from it. Right, it's essentially an issue of just kind of refusing to, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It's like if you have eight chairs in a room and those eight chairs all are occupied by eight men, white men, and you want to bring diversity onto this executive branch of people, well, at least four of those white men are going to have to step down to allow for four people from other backgrounds to step up, right? So they, that represents a loss of power and a loss of privilege for that group. The loss of power because they're no longer in that position and the loss of privilege because they probably got in that position from privilege because it's not by chance that all eight people on an executive team would be white men. Right. You see it as being primarily an issue of people not willing to relinquish the power to see the change. Yeah, I think there are some resistance to that. Not everyone, but, you know, I would say a fair, fair bit of people, like if you're serious about it, it really does mean, you know, a loss of power and a loss of privilege. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So before we um, had to, you know, prepare for our questions for you, we had to like read some papers and you very much, you know, had a great input. Um, I'd like to ask you a question about um, the Marine Diversity Network um, that you want to develop with your colleagues at the Society for Conservation Biology Marine section. I'd want you to um, talk to me more about the marine well, you know, hopefully this will get off the ground at some point. I actually had some meetings with um, SEB Marine Section um, mm -hmm. last year about potentially creating something like this network and actually putting some money and some teeth in it. Okay. Um, but, you know, other, you know, there are lots of different people getting on board. So, you know, the goals have kind of shifted and um, that's fine. Mm 
Um, but originally when I envisioned the Marine Diversity Network, not just me, but the group of people in the focus group um, that worked together on this, we thought that the goal would be to create a diverse, collaborative online network that, fish, that basically focuses on issues in marine conservation. And it would connect people and organizations with similar interests in marine conservation who otherwise would have a low likelihood of interacting because they don't share similar backgrounds or locations or expertise. Now, this would be done through a public up-to-date online repository of people and organizations around the globe. And um, whoever's in charge of the network would kind of be in charge of updating that, that, that repository every year so it's not full of dead links to to organizations that no longer exist. Yeah. And we also thought that the network would aim to serve as a place for hosting discussions and ideas and experiences in the field. Mm-hmm. And this could have been done through an online discussion board. I think we call it the blue board. Um, and the cool thing about the blue board is not only can people just go on and write their ideas or things they're thinking about and get a response from anyone in the world about that issue, but we could host like monthly lectures um, that people can come in and listen to and participate in. And those lectures would be archived and searchable in our repository. So by topic. So even if you missed um, that lecture, you can kind of go back and visit it later or if people are doing a project on a certain issue and they want to learn more about it, they can kind of just look through the repository, find that topic and be able to hear, you know, from experts in the field in that area. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, the network aims to facilitate short-term mentorship opportunities by linking mentors with potential mentees in marine science. Um, and these are mentors and mentees from all over the world that you can link together um, by online platforms. I mean, particularly with the emergence of Zoom and this sort of thing. So um, that was a big aim was to provide mentorship as well. Okay, so um, just to you know um, follow up, um, this blue board you're saying is going to be a worldwide, um, is going to include um, countries all over the world. Does it also include underdeveloped countries? Because I know that for countries like that, you know, um, the internet bandwidth is not really as good. So you are going to have individuals from those parts of the world, you know, I don't know how they are going to be really immersed in this um, marine diversity network. How, um, how do you think these individuals are going to benefit? Like, well, so- like this? So one thing that one um, limitation of the Marine Diversity Network currently as it's envisioned is the language barrier. Yeah. So, you know, English is the dominant language of science and unfortunately it will also be the dominant language of the Marine Diversity Network simply because people that speak English are the ones that are creating it. But I hope as it grows through time, you'd have, you know, people speaking French and Spanish and Arabic and different languages um, throughout it once, you know, the network gains um, membership. But basically the, how we envisioned it was that the Marine Diversity Network would be open to anyone over the age of 18, because if you're under 18, there's certain sort of rules that apply to minors that we don't want to get into. Mm-hmm. So anyone over 18 who engages in marine conservation, we particularly encourage members from the global south and uh, members from systematically underrepresented groups. In fact, we precisely had these groups in mind when we were envisioning the network, hence why we wanted it to be online. Um, and we also wanted it to be online with an app that with offline capabilities. So for people in more re- remote areas, sometimes you're not able to access um, 
the internet, but you can access uh, the app from online. For instance, if you just want to go and look into a repository and find some uh, some person you want to look up or some information about an organization, the app would allow you to do that without having online like internet access. Yeah. And people from these groups would benefit from the network because they will finally have the ability to contribute to and to benefit from discussions and projects that are usually centered on issues related to them, but usually don't include them. Yeah. Like not in the decision-making sort of, you know, level of, of things. Yeah. Okay. Even with the um, language barrier, I know for Zoom, um, there's already um, like a setup over there for interpretation. So yeah, maybe Zoom is going to work well for the language barrier aspect, but probably it's not going to um, help with the individuals in the remote regions. So maybe the app, which probably your team is working on can also um, think about that. That was just like, by the well, way. We're not working on it right now. There was something I put out there and we put out there as something that can be done. Oh, that can be done. Okay. Uh, yeah, that can be done. And so um, SCB is thinking of doing something, um, but um, some sort of network, but if it becomes the marine diversity network like remains to be seen because lots of people have different ideas now because the conversation has broadened. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I envisioned this way back in 2017 before um, diversity, equity, inclusivity was like a big topic of discussion. So the ideas I have now, well, what I had back then um, and what our group had back then might be a bit outdated to yeah. what's happening now. So I'm not sure exactly what direction we're gonna go in. I, I have been, included in those conversations, but I've kind of taken a backseat um, simply because I just have too much going on in my life right now to lead it, but I would certainly support whatever efforts are um, put in that area. Okay, okay, okay. Thank you very much. Lastly, um, we just wanted to give you a chance to sort of think about the future of marine science um, and like envision what you think is a best possible future for marine science that a field that is that is characterized by diversity and um, just wondering if you could talk about how you think equity diversity and inclusion factor into that future well the future i imagine will take many years of concerted <laughs> effort and careful planning to create Mm -hmm. And in an ideal world, the barriers to participation in marine science would no longer exist. And everyone would not only be able to participate, but benefit from the science um, because of the types of questions that would be asked and the type of research that would be uh, conducted. Um, particularly because if you're in the global south, you usually don't have access to funding. So you have to apply to the global north for access to funding, but they only fund certain projects. So what that does is it, it removes a sense of agency from, from those groups because, and a, uh, a sense of you're not able to set the research agenda. You basically just carry out the research agenda of someone else, but it's not your own um, because you're not financing it. And basically I envision people who stand to benefit the most or lose the most from conservation efforts would lead these efforts, um, particularly for projects, like I said, that are related to issues in the global South or women or ethnic racial and LGBTQ groups, um, and that there would be equitable relationships in science between the global north and the global south. Um, and that would be the standard way of operating and careers inside of conservation, um, academic careers outside of conservation would be viewed as being equally as important as careers within academia in conservation. 
Um, and finally, the field would be a welcoming environment for everyone and diverse values and voices and perspectives would be considered um, when making all major decisions and they would have a place at the table and not just a place at the table, but they would be heard at that table. Yeah, and like you said, um, that this is not just going to happen of its own accord. <laughs> no, like, yeah, but like, yeah, you actually have to, like, I think there was, I can't remember who said this, but um, I actually referenced it in my paper that they said, you know, because these barriers to um, inclusion have been kind of systematically put in place, you know, through very old structures, in order to dismantle them, you have to have a systematic sort of process of doing this. You know, it doesn't just miraculously happen over time because people have good intentions. You mm -hmm. actually have to really put thought and effort into changing things. Mm -hmm. For sure. Just to wrap up, um, we just wanted to give you the opportunity to make mention of anything that you feel is relevant to the conversation that maybe we didn't sort of direct you into with with the questions um just to you know because you have such a breadth of experience and knowledge but also don't feel obligated um we just wanted to give you a little bit of space to talk to mention anything that uh, might be important i think we touched on all the major points but the one thing that's kind of missing from these conversations usually about equity, diversity, and inclusivity are actually the people that you're trying to include. So a lot of times it's still done by the, the dominant group thinking of ways of how to um, include a non-dominant group, but you don't actually have members from that group being present at the table discussing how this would happen. And I think, you know, that's not the case everywhere, but that is the case in some places. And I think, you know, you know that's a very important oversight that we kind of need to make sure that people are at the table at the very beginning and um, when these discussions are being had and when these programs are being put into place and not after a program is created and then you just ask for someone's feedback on it. Like, you know, you know, you want them there when you're creating it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with us and give us your perspective. Um, this has been super illuminating. And I think between um, you and uh, Dr. Samila, we're going to have some good um, content on equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science. So yeah, well, thanks for having me and good luck on your uh, project. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks so much. Thank yeah. Thank you for joining us for this conversation on equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science with Dr. Nicola Smith. Join us next time for part two of this podcast, where we discuss this topic with Dr. Rashid Samaila. Thanks goes to Diego Bedoya for the original music. Hi everyone, I'm Adipa Inyan. And I'm Charity Jastrebo, and we are graduate students at the Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries. Welcome to part two of our podcast on equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science. We are very excited to bring you conversations with marine scientists on this topic. Today's guest is Dr. Rashid Samaila, 
who is a Canada Research Chair in Interdisciplinary Ocean and Fisheries Economics at the University of British Columbia's Institute for the Oceans and Fisheries, as well as the School of Public Policy and Global Affairs. His research focuses on bioeconomics, the valuation of marine habitats, the study of global issues, including fisheries subsidies and marine protected areas, illegal fishing, climate change, marine plastic pollution, and oil spills. Dr. Rashid Samaila has had a wealth of experience working in fisheries and natural resources across Europe, Africa, Asia, and North America. We are happy to have him as one of our guests today to share in his knowledge in equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science. The first question is, what does equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science mean to you? Yeah, okay, yeah, so what does that mean to me? Equity, diversity, and inclusion. Essentially, I see it as having uh, the population, the population we have, if we are talking at the level of uh, Canada, then we want to see the proportions of the larger population engaging in, in marine science. So if there are 50% women, you want to see 50% women. If there are 5% indigenous people, you want to see 5% indigenous people at the minimum. So to me, it's, it's really having the, the full population in society be represented in every sector. Okay, perfect. So essentially you're saying you want like a an equal representation of what the population looks like to be equally represented in marine science. Yes, that was very well done. Very well done. That's well said, yeah. But this representation is not just about numbers alone. Mm -hmm. but actually getting people involved and participating, have their voices heard, all those elements, bringing their perspectives on the table and so on and so forth, yeah. Perfect. Um, so next we would like to ask how equity, diversity and inclusion in marine science has changed or progressed over the course of your career. Yeah, so how long is my career to start <laughs> with, right? Yeah, so... <laughs> I think there has been some progress, there has been, and we see it from the students' level. You see more and more women, for example, right? And uh, you see uh, women of color, First Nations, you know, you have different types of people at the bottom, but the top is still loaded with just one group and we need to work more, essentially men. And if you're in Canada, that would be white men. If you are in, in Africa and in West Africa to be men, black men, right? So, so you have, I see improvement, but we need to really speed up and push through. I think our student group, I don't know what the number is now, at IOF, we're probably at 55, 45 for, for women against uh, versus men, right? At the student level, but as you move up to faculty, there's still a, a big disproportionate representation of women, for example. Okay, but you feel as though that has improved since you started your career? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, again, if it, at the lower levels, I've seen big improvement. What do I mean by lower levels? That the graduate student level, 
postdoc getting more and more representative, but then as you get to the professorship, then there's still an issue. But even there, there are indications of improvement. Uh, our IOF, we used to have only one woman professor. It's been a big headache for us, yeah. But slowly, yeah, now we have two more, right? And, and that tells you that's still very low compared to the total uh, number of professors, which I don't actually remember. I don't know how many of us are, but at least more, we should be at least 15, right? Professors there and only three are women. So that's, uh, and, and our, our institute is actually quite diversified. If you're thinking about uh, non-white professors, we, we, we do have a reasonable representation, but that is only our institute, right? If you go to economics, my God, it's, it's quite different. <laughs> it varies, yeah. Mm. Okay. We would also want to know um, how better um, indigenous students and people of color in the marine science can be supported or can, you know, be more engaged. Particularly, um, I ask this because mm -hmm. people of color, especially students of color, think that marine science is more of a white field. So mm -hmm. I'd want to know how you can better or how you think um, they can be better supported or engaged? Yeah, so, so there are many levels there, right? And, and the first thing is we need to get more and more faculty who are people of color because you need role models. You need to see somebody there and then you start feeling comfortable, right? It's only natural. You know? I remember when I came here in 1995 to UVC, and in 1996, the World Bank was visiting UBC and they asked departments to send two faculty to the, the meeting. They were going to talk to us about their projects and how UBC can participate and help them, right, with research. And I go in there, and this is huge, right? Think of two professors from each department. That's a huge, big hall, full. So after the first session, the leader of the World Bank during coffee break came to me. He actually came to me and said, oh my gosh, congratulations, he said. I said, why? He said, just look around here. You're the only one, this sea of people. I thought UBC was cosmopolitan, right? So that was then. But since then, we have seen some number improvement. But again, there's a long ways to go. So that's one thing. Now, at the level of faculty, I think there's a lot, and staff things can be done at those levels to make uh, people of color feel at home too, right? And so, and so like the way you, you recruit your students and making sure that going back to my first point, the representation of the larger population should always be in your mind when you are, when you are taking on students and so on. And, and also the funding, right? Trying to be fair to all students, make it more equitable essentially. So um, back in this point up, was there a point um, in your career you felt you didn't belong? As in, did you feel isolated? And how did you build your network? As in, how did you build your network and people around you who would give you that kind of, um, should I say motivation? Because yeah. sometimes when you are the only one in that field and you feel like, okay, you are the only one, you don't yeah. have any source of, 
motivation or vibe it's just you and you feel like you are the only one over there did you have any of such experiences absolutely i mean who doesn't have <laughs> you know i i i started i did my masters in norway i mean and that was even that's far more than in canada right so you are really really alone most of the time and 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 so the thing is i think one key thing to remember is that if you are in such a situation, uh, when you meet one person that makes you not feel at home, you are likely to meet two people who are very supportive. So t- don't think of the whole system as being against you, no. Like UBC, there's no single person who is UBC. It's a mix of all the people here. Some will like you, some will not like you. Just know that and be prepared for that, right? I think the key thing is having focus on what really interests you and just push it, push, push, push forward. What you believe in, what you're doing and, and networking is important. That's why I said, if you have one person who, who is not nice, you get two people. So seek out people who are really open-minded and there are many. I've had some really good, good people from all races to work together all over the world. So, so that should encourage you even when you are at the low point, okay? Just stay positive, keep doing the good stuff and, and, and the world will recognize you one way or the other, I believe. Hmm. Okay. And so the next question we have is, do you think UBC's current equity, diversity and inclusion policies are effective enough? And do they have a positive impact on the marine science community on campus? Hmm. Yeah, so that's a good one because you take it to the marine science community, but but the UBC policy is campus-wide, right? So all the regulations, all the rules and all the the policies the university has put put together for EDI is supposed to be applied throughout campus. So, So in that sense, it's a very good move. I see a lot of effort by the university senior administration to really open up the place. So that is very encouraging. And uh, but clearly there's a long ways to go, right? But, but, but it's looking good in terms of where we are going. And I know this, I mean, I was in a, in a, in a meeting that uh, President Ono was giving a talk and I actually asked a question and he turns to me and says, that's a very good question. And I was talking about recruitment, how it is hard for, for people of color to break through or women to break through the, the selection process. You know, it's unbelievable how difficult it can be because people are, not, and so most people are not doing this deliberately. They don't even know that they, they kind of put blocks on people who are not the typical, right? So, so I mentioned this as I would need help from people like you to help UBC improve this. So there is a lot of interest in, in helping to make the place more equitable. So lastly, um, we also want to give you an opportunity to think about what the future could look like in terms of uh, equity, diversity, and inclusion. So if you had to envision what the best possible future for um, for a marine science field characterized by diversity, how does equity, diversity, and inclusion factor into this? Yeah, I think it's, it needs to factor all through, right? I mean, like, for example, if you are 
this is among a number of uh, editorial boards of journals, boards of journals. So, so when I select referees, referees, I have this in the back of my mind. I want to make sure I don't end up just selecting men, right? Looking out and making sure it's representative or or only white people I have to look at, or only people in North America, that is the thing, or Europe, so I, I stretch out. So I will uh, recommend somebody I know is good uh, from Africa, from Latin America, from Asia, just to open up. So this is the, the more that goal of really fair representation of all groups come into play. And this is important, this is you know, just for being nice. It is important that we have all the brains, all the perspectives, all the ideas on the table. And you cannot do this by just focusing on one group, right? So yesterday in my class, I, we, we talked about, yesterday was Monday, yeah. In my class, we were talking about COVID and how countries have handled COVID. And I actually played a video of the prime minister of New Zealand. I mean, she her country's number one in the ranking for handling COVID. And not only that, I see reports that show that the countries run by women actually did much better than those run by men. So if you don't open up and get all the brains from women, you just look at one side, you're going to miss a lot of good stuff. The same thing with indigenous people and black people and brown people. So, so the future, I think ultimately we just, in the future, the world is mixed, whether we like it or not. I mean, we're going to be, some will try to build walls and in four years we throw them away and then, <laughs> and then start this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no names, okay? No names. <laughs> so, so I'm generally optimistic. You, you always get people who will pull the world but more of us want the world to move forward, make it fairer, make it treat every woman being fairly and, and, and the way you want to be treated, right? This is a basic thing from all the religions, so to start with, right? Not even science. So yeah, let's keep positive, let's keep hope alive and just keep pushing. But it's not going to be straightforward. No way, it has never been straightforward. When you achieve one step progress, people are gonna try to take you two steps back. But we don't allow them, right? So, okay. Thank you for joining us for these conversations on equity, diversity, and inclusion in marine science with Dr. Nicola Smith and Dr. Rashid Smaila. Thanks goes to Diego Bedoya for the original music. <laughs>